I've always questioned everything. Mm. I'm always that person that questions. Yeah. And then if I see something wrong, I invade mm. and get rid of. Yeah. That's how I've always been, mm. I think. Welcome to Third Culture Africans, the lifestyle podcast for dreamers, thinkers, and doers. We celebrate artistry, share stories from those brave enough to create something and succeed, listen to diverse perspectives on African success, and those shifting the needle on culture. I'm Zezo Sal, your host. On this week's episode of Third Culture Africans, my guest is Rosanne Ahmed. She's a fearless humanitarian who has dedicated the last two decades of her life being in service of others and being a powerful force for change. She's an incredible observer, bold in her approach, and believes in the healing opportunity that the creative and cultural arts bring to our space. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did sitting with Rosanne and picking out some gems from her beautiful career thus far. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. We have Rosanne Ahmed. She is, uh, goodness, uh, I think this podcast was made for her, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> when I, I was, so when I was going through my notes and when in my mind I had, who is the epitome of a third culture African in 2020 who has lived, breathed everything that I hope the podcast will stand for in the long term. And your name was on the list. So when I first wow. came up with the concept, I had a list of names. Obviously started with people I knew um, because they're always easier. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then having yes. people I don't know. And without sort of giving you all the etc. etc. Mm. For anyone who doesn't know you, if you can explain who <laughs> is Rosanne Ahmed, because there's yeah. so many and, and, ands to who there you are. are. <laughs> but you're a true third culture African. I definitely am a third culture African. And thank you, by the way, for considering me as, as one of those names um, in development of, of this crucial concept. Yeah. It's uh, overly due. In terms of how I describe who I am, wow. This is honestly one of my biggest challenges it's always so hard for me to sum up who I am and what I do because, like you said, it is so nuanced and layered and intersectional. But to summarize, I do believe that I'm a catalyst Yes. when it comes to arts, culture, creativity, and their priority in the larger scheme of African projection. I'm the president of my own world. I'm a big believer in intersection, mm. in jumping into all the different ways and utilizing any tool imaginable within the creative space to make a difference, to change a mind, to invade lens and really bring about new, better, more innovative, more collective ideas towards a better future. I think that's a cool description. Um, I also had global cool kid in inverted commas, driving culture, creative writer, yes. humanitarian. Correct. A powerhouse and a powerful force for change. Wow. Yes. Thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. I think when I first met you, and goodness me, it's probably been, ten I want to say 10 years. Yeah. And one of the first things that struck me about you is how vocal you were about what you believed in. And off the bat, it was clear 
where you stood in this sort of maze that we call life. And it was social, our meeting, mm -hmm. but you were clear in terms of how you saw the world mm -hmm. and your place, one, as a third culture African in the world and what your purpose was. And I think you were one of the first people who had the global reach that was having those conversations in those ways. That's very true. I love that you noticed and observed and picked that up. I really am. And I guess, yes, the podcast is timely now because now there's a larger pool of people who are driving culture in a particular way. Correct. But you have systematically done this more than once. Yes, and for a decade now. Yeah, yeah. and you've done it more than once successfully. Mm -hmm. So early sort of career for you was in journalism. Correct. You were one of the youngest editors out in the UK at the time, mm -hmm. and you started in and amongst all the humanitarian activism, um, shedding light on immigration, mm -hmm. immigrants, mm -hmm. the journey thereof. You were part of the grime culture. That's it. Yeah, I like was. You were one of the pioneers of grime culture. Yeah. I don't come up with strict questions for any of the shows. I know people and then I do some more research and I try and hopefully shed light or paint your journey in a way that someone who isn't sure of how their path is going mm -hmm. can pick out nuggets from how you've done things and mm -hmm. hopefully that inspires them to see the world a little different. This podcast is sponsored by Malay Natural Science. Malay's products are inspired by the rich landscapes, alluring scents, and ancient wisdom of Africa. Their luxurious fragrance and body care range balances 100% natural active ingredients and scientifically proven formulas to heal, protect, and pamper your skin. Malay ships worldwide, and you can buy their products at maleeonline.com. They also offer a free sample if you'd like to try. Looking back at the Roseanne then, who was mm. pioneering what is now a global genre, and you're now living a different lifespan within that mm -hmm. and seeing it come full circle in terms of your vision, that version of you or that part of you who believed so much in fostering essentially a lot of third culture kids yes. through this transition of self, and with the ability to write and paint those pictures, yeah. how did that come about for you? It's really funny because there's so many terms now or buzzwords mm. for, like you said, what I've been doing for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And back then, I didn't even know what I was doing, really. You were just Because <laughs> there was just, yeah, there was no definition. Yeah. I, even Grind didn't have a name. No. Grind back then didn't even have a name. Yeah. You know, Wiley put out a song called What Do You Call It? Because, in fact, what do you call it? We didn't... There was Garage, yeah. there was Jungle, there was hip-hop, British hip-hop yes. even. There was drum and bass. Mm -hmm. But then this sound was evolving mm -hmm. that wasn't quite identified. But what I loved about it was that curiosity, mm -hmm. that let's see where this goes, let's mm -hmm. merge this into our own definitive, independent cultural roar mm -hmm. and that's in fact what happened and and my role I would say is as a writer became more about telling the story of grime mm. and working with very young artists at the time you mm. know the Wileys the Skeptas yeah. the Lethal Bees yeah. of the World Kano you know yeah. I met Kano in when he was part of yeah. Pay As You Go. He was Ashley, Ashley yeah. from So yeah. Solid. I was at the 21 Seconds yeah. music video for that. 
We but were you, evolving. But you were all kids. We were all kids. You were all kids. We were like six, I was seven, 16, 17 yeah. at the time. You know, they say cool kids shape culture. Yes. And usually it's always a niche. Yes. And somehow that niche then expands and is able to give more. And then somehow we all then jump on that niche mm. and then it becomes culture. Yes, because it reveals identity and it shapes identity. And, you know, for the first time in ever, I think, as a African woman living mm. in the UK, I truly felt like I belong somewhere. I yeah. belonged within a group of mm. people and we were creating something and it was ours and it was British. And what I also used to do as a writer, I would interview artists from the United States mm. when they were coming, like the 50 Cents yeah. and the Dre's and the M&M's or whatever. And I would ask them, have you heard our yeah. sound? Have you heard of Lethal B, have you mm. heard of More Fire Crew? Mm. Have you heard of? And they all had no clue, and they were all very dismissive back then. Yeah. And every vision I had back then, and that was to have, you know, the Drake, for yeah. example, of today with one of our artists on stage. It's all yeah. happening now. Yeah. So for me, it's just when Stormzy did Glastonbury, for yeah. example. These are all moments that I was literally envisioning mm. twenty years ago. Yes. So it's it is a full circle. It's always a full circle moment for mm. me now. The past two years actually has been constant for full circles. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's beautiful and we're, we're getting somewhere with it. And, and that was, you know, as we were, as Grimes started to establish mm. is when I decided to just leave. Yeah. Which, which, I, which I was about to get to. So yeah. you made your quick exit, yeah. left and decided to focus more on, I guess, the power of self and belief in self. Yes. And the voice that you had around african culture Correct. heritage and let's dial back to where you're sudanese yes um and you came to the uk as an immigrant yes well i was born mm. in the uk so i am british, british but i came as a refugee almost because mm. we were living in kuwait mm -hmm. during the gulf war and we lost everything although i was british the only british in my family the rest were Sydney's and Kuwait and blah blah but yeah we all came back here as essentially refugees yeah. so when I was nine when we came back to England yeah so yes I very much know the immigrant refugee no home life yeah <laughs> I'm very but, aware but is it. that the thing that has propelled you to forge on in creating all the other businesses that you have mm -hmm. and the consultancy around creating a voice and even shining light for people who are walking journeys from a disadvantaged position in life. Yes, always, always. That is the fundamental premise for my existence, mm. and that is to bring light or to bring beauty to mm. what is generally viewed as secondary or mm. ugly or unimportant, mm. you know, and, and also to understand the power in smaller things. Mm. We don't always have to chase what's outside and bigger. Mm -hmm. Let's look into ourselves. Mm. So yeah, it is very much a reflection of my own journey. I just, I decided to go back to Sudan at mm. age 20 and discover who I am as a Sudanese woman. Yeah. And that was through the cultivation of grime or the cultivation of a new culture back home. Mm. I felt that once I had achieved that, I wanted to understand on a much deeper level mm. why I even did that. Mm. And going to Sudan was another big 
bridge. <laughs> life, life altering for you, right? Yeah, it really was. You went from that and then working with the UN for Sudan, speaking on South Sudan and the mm. crisis there and, and shining light for the youth, especially. Very and much and so. how to connect the youth. And then you go further afield, Kenya, Uganda, mm. and then you kept going. And I kept going. And then yeah. you just kept going. <laughs> it was like... I'm still going. It was like the yellow brick road that just kept going. And yeah. it always felt like once you had a taste of it, you found a bigger purpose outside of yeah. this crime culture and what was popular and what was cool. Yes. And somehow you found a way to make popular and cool heritage. And also bringing a sense of responsibility mm. to what is popular. So invading the zeitgeist mm. if you like with a sense of real care mm. fusing my experience in entertainment fashion mm -hmm. arts grime into the un yeah you know how can i bring forth a sense of responsibility using what is attractive to young people and that mm -hmm. is the arts and that is so you know, how can i marry these two i think that's where my kind of intersectional mm. school of thought yeah. started applying and it worked. The UN was a, a very bureaucratic, yes. but very beautiful experience because I had a wonderful boss who gave me that creative freedom mm -hmm. to, to merge. I remember one event we did, I asked every UN agency in the country to bring along physical examples of their work wow. so that young people understand mm -hmm why they're in their country and what they're doing for their country mm -hmm. as support. Mm. Alongside that, I had a DJ playing in the background. <laughs> so you see... <laughs> <laughs> but that's typical you, though. Yeah. It's kind of like there's so much depth, but yeah. at the same time, there's a part of you that's still authentically you. There's a Very part of much. you that is the grime editor who's mm. part of this mu movement, who loves music, mm -hmm. who loves the connection that music brings and art brings to mm -hmm. people's lives. Mm -hmm. You touch briefly on your fashion career. Yet again, mm. an, an, another and and um. within, yeah. within Roseanne. <laughs> yeah. And taking that as a tool to then penetrating places like the Middle East. So moving from the UK, moving to Africa, mm. and then going into the Middle East mm. and going, hey, let's start this movement yes. in a different way. Was it conscious for you to pick the mediums that you have over the years? So music was the UK, mm. fashion was Middle East, and then you also did the comic books. We'll get to that too. Comic books, yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds a lot, actually, when you put it like that. But yeah, yeah, well, comic books as well in Saudi Arabia. You're, you're an inferno of creativity. I think so. And a creativity that has purpose. Mm -hmm. But your choice of medium, and always focused on speaking to the youth in a way that you educate and empower and give arms, in a way, to form a movement. Mm -hmm. But your choice of medium, always conscious or somehow just time and place? It's a bit of both, mm -hmm. to be honest. Yeah, sometimes... It's very strategic in approach. And then other times I'm faced with an opportunity and I don't question the fact that I may not be very familiar with it. Mm. I choose to dive in if I see the value and mm. if I see the potential impact. Mm -hmm. I choose to learn, discover, mm. explore mm. And, and dive in and, and implement. Uh, an example of that would be so with fashion, for example, it actually started in the UK mm. where I developed a curiosity around what we choose to put on our skin mm. and how clothing affects identity. And mm. I noticed 
it was funny. I went to Kenya once, and I noticed that style mm. was very indicative of who people believe they are. Because here in London, we're very original with yes. our taste. We're yes. very original. Like you mm -hmm. can tell a person's personality usually mm -hmm. through what they, how they choose mm -hmm. to dress. Mm -hmm. A lot less following when it comes to style. Yes. Whereas if you go to Kenya or any country, yeah. I, I don't want to be specific with yeah. Kenya, but what I did notice style-wise mm -hmm. was that it wasn't particular mm -hmm. either to personality or to tribe or to mm. what was going on socially yeah. so i related that to mm. identity and how what the definition of their patriotism is mm. does that make sense yes so i started but as a form of expression yes as a form of who i am in my country mm -hmm. right so i started kind of developing like a curiosity around that and when i went to the middle east one of the things i noticed when i got there was that I would walk into a mall and I'd see literally every brand mm. from Europe yeah. and not a single brand from the region, not mm. a single Arabian brand. And I wanted to know, yeah. what are people creating here? Yes. How are they aligning their heritage with their economy? Mm. How is that? Yeah. What is going on? I, uh, I felt the same when I moved to South Africa, I must say. In 2009, I arrived. And in the same way, there was a lack of a local voice. But there's all this beauty around. Where is it? Yeah. Where are the people who are harnessing this? Where are the people who are creating vessels to be able to share this beauty with others? Absolutely. That seems to lack in certain communities. Mm -hmm. And you've taken that on yourself, again, mm -hmm. to always champion the cause. Mm -hmm. And encourage all the way. Cultivate, encourage, mentor. Mm. Yeah. And that's what, we, that's what we did, starting with Bahrain. My consultancy started off as a consultancy, but it became more of an educational, mm. cultivating mm -hmm. agent for local creativity. That's what I felt I was becoming. I was like almost grooming mm. local brands and mm. teaching, not teaching, I don't, I don't want to call myself a teacher, but I would say encouraging, mm. showing, coaching, coaching mm. guiding, mm. and also empowering. Yes. You know, there were so many questions around, but what do you think it'll work? But yeah. do you think people will buy my product? Of course, they'll buy your product. They're mm. good products. Yeah. Oh, but you know, there's this and that. Fear of the monopoly. Mm. Fear of the bigger monopolizing brands out there. Mm. And that is what I tried to rid of. And what I always try to rid of. <laughs> Why did you pick the world's problems? <laughs> Why? That's such a good question, my friend. <laughs> I don't know. I could really ease my life so much if I did. They're, they're, lot, they're a lot more easier. They're, they're easier problems out there. You know, I, I wrote this down and <sighs> it was, it's probably one question that I've always wanted to ask you, Such which is question. you never pick the easy stuff. You've yeah. always picked the stuff that is one far beyond the scope of you and more about many. And whether you choose to do that with the mediums that you're most comfortable with, mm -hmm. it's always beyond you. Always. Why? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I can't even. I feel like it's some kind of ancestral order. But time and place, you always end up in being in the right place at the right time to be able to push your message out. That's true. And I think it's because, and this isn't a good or bad thing, mm -hmm. or maybe it's both, but I tend to note, challenge, and be public about a problem, mm. maybe a good four years or five years before the rest of everybody, mm -hmm. or before it becomes a trend or a buzzword, mm. or 
you know, seven years ago, I remember doing an interview and discussing what it means to take back the African story. Mm. Seven years ago. Mm. And now everyone's jumping on that, which is fantastic. Yeah. But what I'm looking at, you because I already, already, yeah, I've already moved, moved on. on. Yeah. <laughs> I've already moved on. So now I'm thinking about, but wait, we want to take ownership of what? What are we taking ownership of? Yeah. Who are we as Africans? And that's why I set up Africanism. Yeah. Exploring the isms of mm. what it means to be an African today, yeah. a global African today, as mm. well as, you know, the internal, external African. Yeah. And also discussing diversity amongst ourselves mm -hmm. as Africans. Again, we're having diversity, inclusion, all of these things thrown at us as opposed to us being a part, part of, of that conversation. Yeah. It's being thrown upon us. And then I wonder, but wait, but what about diversity amongst Africans? Yeah. It's isolating for sure. It's a lonely <laughs> road. It's a lonely road. It's um, isolating. To, to beat to the sound of your own drum and to want to create for others mm. through your observations and they're always quite early, which you recognize that actually by the time you start on something, perhaps the rest of the world hasn't caught up yet. And so it's an endeavor that you put out knowing that you'll get not as much reward as if you waited yes. or sat on something. Yes. But you have this drive to continue to evolve, to continue to, to give, to continue to put out what you have within you. How does someone like you earn a living? Hmm, that's also a very good question. <laughs> because one of the things with the show that I want to do yeah. is showcase different faces of success. Now, question mark for whoever deems it financially fulfilling, living in joy, living in your purpose, mm. however you define that. Mm. But as long as what you do allows you to make a living and you can live the life that you deem successful enough for yourself to mm. live but seldomly are we taught within our cultures as africans mm. that you can exist outside of a framework yes of a nine to five or a box that this is your profile yes you are many ands and are able to forge a living out of that mm -hmm. how do you do that i'm still working that out to be very honest <laughs> I'm still defining and redefining the cash streams mm -hmm. and the potential cash streams uh, within my many ands. Yeah. You're absolutely right about the fact that we were never really taught financial literacy. Um, I was always encouraged to enter a nine-to-five, like you said, to be a doctor or an yeah. engineer or a teacher and just kind of enter this system of employment, yeah. which I have no problem with. Mm -hmm. I actually think it's a wonderfully stress-free life. But it's, it's either employment or business ownership. Or business ownership. There, there's no concept in our culture, especially around a freelancer. No. The, the concept that as a freelancer, you can work on projects. Yes. And those projects are projects that you believe in. Yeah. And you can pick them up or drop them when you want. Yes. You don't have to have a huge machine behind you. There doesn't have to be a huge team behind you. And in so many ways, you are a freelancer. Yeah, but it isn't so much. The, it's the stability, mm. instability of freelancing that I think brings concern mm. to our old school African parents. Yeah. I, and I understand. I understand yeah. that instability or the fear that can come from that. It's a fair enough assessment. But I've done it all. I went straight into employment from university. In mm. fact, during my university 
workaholic has mm. been within my blood immigrant mindset yes exactly <laughs> since i don't know 15 i yeah. think since the i age started of working when i was 16 yeah i got my first job at the yeah. age of 15 and i worked throughout university i worked seven days a week i if think I wasn't... my first paycheck i bought a dvd player and a three disc cd chip. oh you did <laughs> I, was, I was living in my room savvy i remember i was, like, I was grown with <laughs> my first paycheck <laughs> I actually remember the first thing I bought with my paycheck. Yeah. It was a cassette of Brownstone. Do you remember there you Brownstone? Go. Yes. If you love yes. me, see. That one, you, I can't even yeah. see. Yeah, How but, about Red Records? Do you remember Red? Well, in Brixton? Yes. Yes. You guys had, I guess in West London, you guys had more. We did. You guys had more than we did in the South. But I did go to, I did go to Red Records. But though. I feel like it was, there was that time and place where also for the first time, I think, as, as young I would say Africans and mm. as women in, I guess, a more developed environment, for the first time you're realizing that you can carve your own identity. Yes. That's what happened to me after Sudan. Mm. It's hilarious, actually. I read one of my own quotes from maybe 20 years ago. We did an interview with some music magazine regarding the garage music or this undefined name. Mm -hmm. And I called it an invasion. Because when we were asked of, you know, what is what is this music called or your fashion, you know, these what is it you kids are doing? You know, whatever <laughs> what is it what is it you're doing? I don't know. Is and this I just, even music? Yeah. What is it exactly? <laughs> and we were number one at the time. Yeah. So Solid had gone to number one. Yeah. So I, I was working at the time at Delight Radio, mm. which was a radio station. Yes. Here in London. And and they'd interviewed Delight. Mm and asked us about, you know, the, the, this cultivation of mm. music. And, and I've simply said it's an invasion. Mm. And I still believe that. I feel like in, when it comes to... Well, I guess to in 2020, though, it's called disruption. Oh, yes. There's a word for it now. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Disrupting. Disrupt. You guys were disrupting. <laughs> yes, we were, we were disrupting. How does it feel to be a disruptor? <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 or wait, or do you, do you now feel included? Yeah. <laughs> You know, since since you know, since this is all part of including you. Yes. Oh God, I can't even deal with that word. Yeah. By the way, I hate the word invasion. Uh, sorry, I hate the word inclusion. I just want to make that clear yeah. for everybody listening. I hate the word inclusion. I have no interest yeah. in being included a, a great in way anything. To get your attention on social media. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag inclusion. Don't, don't include me. I'm fine. I do not wish to be included in what. Also, that's my thing. Included in what? I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine. I've always questioned everything. Mm. I'm always that person that questions. Yeah. And then if I see something wrong, I invade mm. and get rid of. Yeah. That's how I've always. Been, mm. I think a disruptor. I've I've always been a disruptor because I feel it's really important to question mm. down to even what I wear. Mm. You know, I even I, I even reached the point of why am I wearing these brands or mm. why you know what is this on my skin? Mm. It's really important to understand what we put on our skin. Mm. So mm. yeah, it, I, I've always been the inquisitive one, and I think that's always come through with what you've written. Yeah, um, whether it's your pieces for Vogue or your pieces yes. for ID magazine, yeah, and creating that conversation in the way that those who felt excluded would be included. Yes. Or those who were less aware of the landscape would have a view of what the landscape yeah. is in reality. Yes. 
And in so many ways, you write a lot of open letters. Yes, that's a wonderful observation, Zeze. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> I think your your writing career, for, for a large part, there are a lot of open letters. Yes. Which you always invite people to have conversation with. And I think it's the same way you engage on social media. You know, yeah. I always find it interesting when you post something. If there's like a world event, I'm like straight onto your page. <laughs> To see what I think. I was like, what is Roseanne going to do with this now? What would um, Roseanne do? Yeah. But, but, but I find it refreshing, especially for our generation where some aspect of this way of life or even looking at macroeconomic and political factors yes. is something that we shy away from. Yes. Because everyone is so obsessed with ambition, wealth creation. Yes. Um, you know, that we don't look in service of our community. It's been abandoned, actually, in many ways, I think. Yeah, and I think most people believe, okay, well, first let me get the wealth, then I can do the rest. Yeah. And I guess your perspective is always through just sheer existence. True. You can make a difference. I won't lie to you, though. There, Mm. There was a point where I did think it was important for me to focus on building wealth simply because you know if i'm somebody that believes in ownership Mm. then i too must own yeah and you know as much as i own my identity Mm. myself my story and also what i stand for there's composites that Mm. are you know within the financial space that Mm -hmm. that are also important yeah so i did i did try i tried (laughs) (laughs) i tried (laughs) but it didn't work out what's clear with every guest is that we all don't do what we do because of the money we do it enough that it it does what it needs to do on a day-to-day basis but as africans doing what we all do in however many different ways it is whether Mm. that's through art or whether that's through your humanitarian efforts or cultural efforts I think we have a greater responsibility. We do. That when forced to choose, I'm finding every guest chooses the service. Oh, um, wow. And no one is saying this, but this is my prediction, which is through that service is where all the greatness will come. Definitely. And as pioneers of whether it's trying to change the face of poverty amongst youth or whether that's trying to, to change the narrative within ourselves as cultural changers or disruptors mm. or or participants or even followers mm. whoever you might be in the ecosystem mm. your ability to navigate that in as you say the power of self mm. is the key and your choice in trying to have a conversation which is very much a psychological conversation if mm. you think about it mm. where you say to people what's and all turn up Mm -hmm. I did a keynote recently with Facebook Mm. on their Women Leadership Day. Mm. And the reason they asked me to open the conference was because they were really intrigued by a hashtag I developed called I Am Globalization. Stop. That was my question. Oh, (laughs) you see the alignments. Yes. (laughs) The alignments. Yeah. So they they loved that concept of personified globalization. And I think that it requires a lot of self-work, particularly Mm. as third culture Africans, to understand the opportunity Mm. in being multi-identity, but also in dealing with the healing process before coming to that, I guess, point of positive realization in your place. You call it the African Renaissance. The African Renaissance. Yeah. 
which is a work in progress. Mm-hmm. It is not immediate. It's mm-hmm. not quote unquote for the culture. Yeah. As our American cousins love to use. Yeah. It's not it's not a gimmick. Yeah. It is a process mm-hmm. and it's a process of healing. Mm-hmm. So I think that Yes, as we're navigating, as we're shaping, as we're demanding ownership, as mm. we're this, we're that, we must constantly go towards healing, mm. towards self, mm. and towards literal facing the negatives too. From a working perspective, CCI, cultural and creative industries, mm. this is what I feel will shape ultimately Africa's image around the world. It's creative leadership. But isn't that the backbone of what we are as Africans, though? We're yes. so rooted in creativity. So almost by default, almost to a point that we don't even value it. Yeah. We're so couture, for example. Yeah. Couture is default. It's something we just did yeah. growing up. It's like that the you know? Dior's last season with the Ankara Prince. Oh, Lord, don't. And yeah. we've seen Stella and McCartney do that. Stella and, McCartney did it And too. I think for me, what I saw there was a classic case of one man's food is another man's poison. And also, you know well, I mean? yeah, no, definitely, definitely. What and also neo-colonialism. Yeah. Neo-colonialism. Yeah. That's, let, let's just call it what it was. It's also a prime example of our own disrespect to what we create. This is why when I tell you people are talking about our story, our story, mm-hmm. all right, I'm already ahead. How do we actually protect our story once we've clearly defined what it is and i think we're there and i think i'm I'm hoping that with something like the podcast and perhaps it only starts with me and and someone else takes it to where it needs to go but i think my challenge was who's documenting this time when we look Mm -hmm. at the 60s you know post the wave of the end of colonialism for a lot of african countries right between the 50s and down through to the 80s there was this renaissance that happened similar to what we're living now yes those guys had documentation through music we saw a surge of indigenous entrepreneurs create industry create job create wealth we saw all of that and then there was a different era and it all died yeah and i feel like we're in that again now but i woke up one day and i was like who's documenting this now who's actually keeping this for us Mm -hmm. because when i look back and try and find reference points of the people who did it then even through art sometimes i struggle and we're there again now and again it's not i'm not a journalist by any profession Mm -hmm. or by any means but i woke up feeling so strongly about being able to capture these stories definitely one because i know a lot of people who are helping make them Mm. and who are helping shape the narrative Mm. but two i think a wider purpose and service of sharing these stories and documenting them somewhere absolutely that should a young girl somewhere wake up and go how do i become a philosopher humanitarian who is making a difference in the world but don't know how but i love music art creativity they will find this episode somewhere and take from it that someone has walked this path and hey look it is possible because seldomly do we see people like us do these things so Mm. i always liken to indiana jones (laughs) explorer Globia, the right? explorer of the African identity. <laughs> global global explorer. Yeah, global explorer. And, and as kids, we all watch it, and it almost seems far-fetched to ever exist as an, in, as an Indiana Jones, yeah. right? Because in the African context, eh? Yeah. Who's paying you to go and... <laughs> <laughs> Who's paying you to do that? <laughs> to wear khaki and tongue clothes. <laughs> <I know. laughs> 
my parents still ask me that question. I won't even lie. <laughs> they still ask me that question. Like, what exactly are you doing right now? Yeah, no, I, I, I totally understand that. And I think if I was to prepare a take home mm. based precisely on what you said mm. is because it was a big problem for me. Forget labeling. Mm. Forget it. Mm. Because I spent a really long time trying so hard to define what I do mm. or to put it into a nice, simple, you know, box for the simpler minded. And I will say it because mm. it is it is a simpler way of thinking. It's an easily packaged box mm. for you to easily understand mm. what I do. Mm. That can be mm. mind bogglingly mm. difficult, mm. right? Especially if you're somebody that really understands and loves mm -hmm. connecting dots in order to make impact. Yeah. So forget that. Forget mm. trying, like, if you are unable to mm. label mm. yourself, don't worry about it. Just do what you need to do just for as long, as long as you're not harming anybody. Yeah. As long as you know that you are impacting. Yeah. As long as, like you said, you are documenting, mm -hmm. finding means to document, go ahead and don't worry about it. Because that really was a stumbling block for me for a long time. Mm -hmm. It really did a lot for my brain. Just talking about it's making me anxious. I, I find <laughs> in the early days for me, I had an insecurity around saying I was an entrepreneur and I made creams for a living, right? Mm -hmm. And chances are that only a small group of people knew who I was. Yeah. And I wasn't the thing that everyone knew. Yeah. And I think as entrepreneurs as creators as people who start to, to shift culture yeah. i think because when you first start it's so isolating yes it's very lonely it is very lonely even just friendships relationships attested to so many varying limits oh god oh god yeah i lost a lot of friends yeah i lost a lot of friends too on this journey and it's weird because i don't really get jealous mm. okay i don't quote unquote hate mm. on people if i see a woman for example my friend you or yeah. any other of my friends doing really well mm. i jump up for joy and yeah. i don't even need to understand exactly what you're doing i just know that you're doing well and mm. that you're happy yeah you know and that you're living and you're good mm -hmm. that brings me joy mm. but there are a lot of unfortunately individuals out there that want to know the nitty-gritty of yeah. oh, why is she so happy why mm. this why that and obviously that all comes from a horrible sense of insecurity mm. it comes from within yourself which mm. is why again the rediscovery of self mm. healing of self is mm. very important in this process so yeah so i did i came across a lot of people yeah. who unfortunately either didn't understand or were jealous of my journey and you realize it's almost like entering a new realm yeah right but when you start you're crazy and when you start it's like i liken it to being the poor cousin who turns up when you start you're that person right yeah. it's almost like you're pushed to the side yeah. and then all of a sudden you start to gain traction in your space yes and then there's this wider realization that being awkward or being different or having a view or mm. having a vision that you're willing to sacrifice a lot for yeah. starts to pay dividends. Yeah. And then all of a sudden... You get burned a lot too, though. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. yeah. Burn, paid. Burn, win. <laughs> Burn, yeah. Like, that's how it works. <laughs> it's never a steady stream. You arrive at a place where 
people now start to respect your hustle. Yes, yes. Um, people now start to respect your devotion. Yes. People now start to look at you as a leader and through that evolution of self is when you start, for me, I would say, I started to get the confidence. Very good. To, to actually say, yeah. hold on a minute here. I am not what you expect me to be. Yes. And actually I'm comfortable with that. I'm yes. comfortable being who I am and yeah. If I don't make the numbers that you think I'm making, that's on you. That's fine. And also it's it's sad how entrepreneurship now is somehow related, particularly in our mm-hmm. space, to fame. Entrepreneurship has nothing to do with Zero. fame. Zero. Zero. And I don't know how somehow, you know, the two fields have correlated. They have no correlation to one another. I think there's a narrative that people believe and statistically they're so wrong Mm. because you're more likely to become a millionaire in a job than you are as an entrepreneur of course and i think because of the some of the success stories of the decade right Mm. the zuckerbergs Mm. you know the ubers and things and being africans Mm. we somehow have created and also with the surge of investment and innovation and creativity and marketplace yeah that is now starting to brew yes now for a lot of industries it doesn't exist there is no marketplace that's very true but we have a lot of marketplace conversations yeah which is premature because there's no ecosystem it's about ecosystem it's infrastructure institutions think tanks we don't have any of that so yes the gaze element is there Mm. there's a lot of gaze a lot of success when it comes to prying eyes Mm. you know or image projection Mm. but where is the benefit and i'm obviously speaking from cci Mm -hmm. creative cultural Mm. and you know and i constantly raise these challenges Mm. within this space because we tend to forget about them Mm. you know there's a photo on instagram Mm. and someone gains likes and and that's a sign you get a feature in vogue it's always like the feature in vogue or the feature in essence or the feature somewhere and it's almost like okay now you have the seal of approval we can now trust you yeah which is sad also because you know why are we giving that power to entities that don't necessarily understand even who we are And yet power is given to those who haven't even helped establish this current renaissance. But I think it's it's part of the mindset of going, but hey, we are now part of the race. Yes. We have now joined in this level playing field. Yes. However unlevel it is for those of us entering it on a global scale. Yeah. But now for the first time, pound for pound, we are speaking to the same consumer. Of course. And that is something that is unique to this time. It is. Unique to where we're at. And I think the work that you do with fostering that, the work that you do with taking that message down to a whole different demographic of people Mm. who can now start to see possibilities in their creativity, in their innovation, and also celebrating their heritage. That's it. On the one end, the narrative was, how do you become like? And I'm slowly starting to see that change into how do you evolve within? Thankfully, we are seeing that. I agree with you. Let's focus on equalizing Mm. within this globalizing moment. Mm. Let's equalize, not monopolize. Mm. That's another really important factor, I think, in, in our development and establishment as a force of 
cultural and creative nature. Mm. Let's really focus on equal benefit mm. as opposed to a continuous gaze opportunity. Mm. <laughs> and I think that will take some time because I think yeah. in the beginning you're so lost in translation that mm. I think once people start to to feel recognized and feel seen as human beings we all want to be seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think once that starts to happen it's easy to crave that. It's easy to want it more. It's easy to design or by design create that environment yeah. that then becomes the thing that you chase that then becomes the measure of success. And I think where someone like you is important for our culture is actually perhaps take a minute and see outside of self take a minute and live in service yeah. take a minute and create something that is sustainable long after you're gone yes in the same way that you helped cultivate grime or fashion you know in the UAE yeah. and all of these different projects and all of these things are living well beyond you and as you say you've mm. moved on to the next yes <laughs> it's also see yourself mm. before you ask to be seen mm. see explore work do what you need to do see mm. yourself see yourself fully before you ask to be seen i think that's also really important because i've always identified the relationship between identity and economy so it's clear you know london as a city for example where mm. we both reside and love yeah. as our home i see a few suitcases to my left yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's my it's my so, so i'm not sure that's accurate because <laughs> you're oh, home in your heart yeah it's, it's at the my... moment your home is the world yeah there's only a few cities in the world that bring that sense of home for mm. me there's only two or three cities london is one yeah um although not in the winter yeah. I definitely don't know <laughs> it does not have that genesis acquired it does uh, not no. yeah it does not have that charm yes spring no. comes along and you're like wow this is the best city in the world yeah yeah yeah, yeah. right now it's yeah it's giving me a headache london kenya and mm. also of course where i come from yeah. originally and that sudan it's literally those three cities where mm. where i'm able to cultivate a sense of home yeah. everywhere else feels like I don't know a hotel. <laughs> yeah, it's just a hotel room for now. Yeah, the relationship between identity and economy is a really often looked at mm. and studied. Mm. You know, even the architecture mm. speaks to identity. Yeah. Art, fashion, everything we see speaks to a defined and proud identity. And that requires a real deep dive into mm. self. Yeah. So I hope that as we cultivate and as we wish to be seen, mm. we see ourselves as well. I think that's beautifully said. There's something I do in every episode, Tell me. which is have each guest pronounce their names properly. Very good. Yes. Yes. Because we suffer from that problem we do. across the globe. We do. <laughs> we really do. Some people find it refreshing. Yeah. Other people seem to kind of oh, really do we go there? No, no, I'm very okay with going there. I like to challenge tongues. Yeah. <laughs> because you almost become okay with the fact that your name will never be said properly in some instances yeah and even within your own culture it might be said differently but how is your name pronounced properly okay so my name is pronounced as razan 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 so it's actually r a z a n despite what it's known as today yes. as rosan mm. r o z a n and that was a change made in my very early writing days which mm. i unfortunately accepted mm. because it was easier yeah. better known yeah that's how i kind of ended up with rosan 
But yeah, my real name is Rezan. Perfect. Thank mm. you. Where do the listeners find you? You engage a lot on social media. I do. Yeah. Instagram is probably the best place. Mm. It's my best point of venting. <laughs> <laughs> As you know, sometimes like when you vent. send me some of those little videos or memes, I kill myself over laughing. I'm like, I cannot with this woman. I don't know. I just, I have a, such a deep love-hate relationship yeah. with Instagram. It's like, I, it's so funny. But yeah, it's my space for yeah. venting. And your handle? I am Roseanne, which mm-hmm. is I am. And then Roseanne is R-O-Z-A-N, which is also actually my handle for everything. Facebook, yeah. Instagram, Twitter, all of that. And should any impact changers, world leaders be listening to this episode and Mm. want to get in touch with you? Where do they do that? They can email Mm. info at rosannahmed.com or The Magic Drive, actually, The Magic Drive at Gmail. Those two are basically key team vocal points. And we'll put in the show notes everything around Africanism, The Magic Drive and all of the projects that you work on. Oh, wonderful. Um, Thank you. Because I think if we delved into it in the episode, we'll need part two. No, we will. Or three and four and seven. Yeah, Um, there's a lot. And so everyone can kind of delve into the work that you've done over the last decade and how you've helped shaped our culture and taking that message across different continents, actually. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Zezé. It's an honor. Thank you so much. And we'll see you perhaps season two. Yes, (laughs) the return. Yeah. What are you then? Thank you for listening to this episode of Third Culture Africans, the Lifestyle Podcast. We would love to hear from you. So please find us on Facebook or Instagram at Third Culture Africans and leave us a comment. A review goes a long way in getting our show notice. So please leave us one if you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time.